In other words, they were ready. I hear you now, all right? <laughs> okay. All right, you can hear me now. Okay. We know we're all preparing for the Holy Week season, and it's a time when all Christendom really looks up to this point, where we know exactly what we believe and why we believe. But at the same time, we are reminded this is what you call Palm Sunday, where all the crowds were just saying, Hosanna, we sang earlier today. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were really shouting the fact that this is going to be that Messiah that they would like to rejoice in. But listen carefully. The very same crowds that called him Lord and Messiah is also going to be the very same crowd that would later say, crucify him. And right now we are about to see the change of events where you start to realize that what's happening here is the fulfillment of scriptures. All right? So if you got your Bibles with you, open with me to the book of Matthew. Looking at Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, we will see here what is taking place here, the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. They just, they just had their time at the Garden of Gethsemane, and all of a sudden, here comes this crowd that is approaching. And so first thing, let's, let's look into this, this part here. Let's talk about the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. The arresting group. If you notice according to scripture is here, the arresting group is led by whom? By Judas himself. The disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ would be the one to head this group. Could you imagine that? If there's one word that people would use today, it's the word betrayal. Here's another word. Traidor. Traitor. As a matter of fact, this is one of those things that when you look at scriptures, it seems to be one of the dark side. When you realize, why would this have to happen? Of course, the scripture says that it might be fulfilled. When you talk about the word betrayal, you talk about somebody who is violating a trust. Somebody that you had a contract with. And because of this, your confidence in that person is destroyed. And betrayal is one of those important things that we need to learn from. Because what is the result of betrayal? There is an emotional impact that can hardly be restored. For one thing you realize here, the more the trust you have for that person, guess what? 
the greater the impact. He had spent time with his disciple, and this disciple would be, be the very first person to come and lead the charge against him. What would you think? If you were, if you were that person who was being betrayed, what would you feel? There's anger, right? Have you ever been betrayed by somebody who said things that they're not supposed to say against you? Things that may not be true? Things that you've done behind their back? There was this picture I saw that a guy is walking with a, uh, a girl, all right? And there's another guy over here. Have you seen that picture? And the guy is holding the girl over here. And behind, right there, is a hand holding the other guy. Betrayal, right? Listen, you thought all the while this guy was, or this girl was somebody that was really, really faithful. Betrayal, all right? It could be the opposite, right? It could be a guy, all right? So don't say that it's only, it's such a picture of betrayal. There's anger, what else? There's even question why. There's even going to be a loss of trust. There's even a sense of justice. I want to get even with this person. Am I correct? I'm going to get you back. There's even the fear of losing relationship. The fear of losing your reputation. Betrayal. And here, Judas leads the crowd to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the crowd made up of? Oh, by the way, the crowd was made up of a detachment of soldiers. How many do you think that would be? According to some people, it may be around four to 500 soldiers, all right? There were all these religious leaders that were there, that's the, the, the servants of the high priest. There was this whole crowd against how many? Eleven. They had this whole crowd going to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that? This whole people's crowd coming to him. For the very first time, these Jewish people were always in disagreement. But now they are reunited for the only simple reason of arresting the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? What does it mean for them to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ? What was the means that they used? They used swords and clubs. Swords and clubs. In other words, the soldiers had the, the, soldiers had the sword, and who had the clubs? The rest of the crowds. You could see this is almost like you called it, uh, I would call it a passe, right? It could be a gang. Hey, can you ever see one gang rushing another? And here they are with all the clubs and swords. And they were just about to take place to take a hold of one person. His name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. How many people does it take to kill one lamb? A lamb. Bring a whole crowd? Why such kind of treatment? There's even the fact here that even Pilate didn't give them the warrant of arrest. It was the high priest. In other words, they already condemned Christ even before his arrest. But let me share with you right now, which is the part, fact that even becomes painful here. It's the manner of how they arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me carefully. Judas takes the crowd to Jesus Christ. What you notice here was that many of the crowds probably may know Christ. They've heard about him. But Jesus, Jesus had to be betrayed by a kiss from Judas. Why? Have you thought about that? Maybe it's because some people didn't know him. They heard about him. He was popular. 
But he had to give them some kind of a signal. I want to make sure that you find this guy named Jesus. He's popular, but they needed somebody to show him where he was. And so he used the kiss. And folks, for me, this kiss is the point of no return. Because right then, he really had to live it out. You know, there's a place in, in Niagara Falls. It's called the Point of No Return. Have you ever been to Niagara? You know, this, you, have, you have this place over here, and, and for it to go to the, over the falls, there's a place called the Point of No Return. It's like sin. Sin only starts with just an idea. You formulate it in your mind, and later on you conceive it, and the Bible says there's a point of no return, point of death. That was the point of no return. In other words, the moment he kissed the Lord Jesus Christ, said that sealed it. And folks, that was one of the most painful things. Why? What do you use a kiss for? A kiss is a sign of a relationship with someone. That you can say this person is somebody I love and cared for. He violated one of the most beautiful symbols of a relationship. Was a kiss. And it just showed us that Christ probably spent time with these people. He didn't mind being kissed. Am I correct? It was the same thing, the same gesture. But he was a pretender. And so that was the point of no return. He even said something. By the way, when I kiss him, make sure you arrest him. Why did he say that? He said, make sure he doesn't get away. You know why he said that? Because he realized that when he was with Christ, there were times that Christ can slip away from the crowd. When he was arrested, where is he? He's gone. Like an Houdini, right? He could slip away. Why? Because sometimes the crowd wanted to make him his king. He said, no, it's not time. He resisted. And so he said, guys, you better make sure the moment I kiss him, grab him. Seize him. Don't let him get away. He was so sure that he wanted to carry out what was already in his heart. And Satan had already entered him. He made that deal. It was sealed. Judas goes straight to whom? Right straight to Jesus. He didn't even think about the disciples. Could you believe that? He would probably be going through the disciples. And maybe the disciples were like, I could see the disciples' face. If I was a disciple, traitor. You know, I, maybe. And I, have you ever thought that? You know? What? You? You? You know, I, I could see the face. But, but he just said, he didn't care. He goes right straight to Jesus. He didn't care what the people around Christ would be saying. He was bent on carrying out what was in his heart. And then he makes a complimentary statement. Hail, Master. Wow. Hail, Master. In other words, he says, he kissed him. Somebody says, honey in the mouth, but gall in the heart. He says it, but it was not in his heart. To embrace the person that he loved and kiss him was a betrayal. And right there, you could see what did, they, what, did the, what did the people do. They grabbed the Lord Jesus Christ. They grabbed him and rested him. And there's one word they used. They bound him. Not only did they arrest him. It's like, have you seen that, uh, that the tape program, Cops? It says, bad boys, bad boys, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when they come for you? I felt like, man, that must be what they're doing. I, you know, when I was reading this, I said, Man, they, they were treating Christ like a bad boy. What did he do? Not, not only that, but can you see bad boys when they put that, they put that thing behind you? 
That's what exactly they did with the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's even more painful, they bound him. They bound him so, so strong, somebody said, scripture, uh, description, that it was so tight that it felt like there was like blood coming out from his fingers. They want to make sure that he won't get away. And right there he was like a lamb being brought to the slaughter. He was bound because he loved you. He never resisted. He, a matter of fact, said, come on, do it. That's the kind of God we have. He was willing to be bound because he realized that he would be like Isaac. The one and only lamb, once and for all, that is going to be sacrificed. Oh, by the way, there were some curious people. There, there were some curious people following too. Um, if you notice, if you start to read some scriptures, that's really Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was even one guy that was following from the crowd. It says he came with a bed sheet. And what happened when he was spotted? Somebody grabbed him, and it says he runs away naked. Now, I was kind of, I said, Bakanaman not naked, you know, all right? I don't know, but maybe that's how they describe it. But what it tells me is this. He could have been a disciple. He could be a silent disciple. When he saw the crowd, he says, what are they doing? And maybe he heard people chanting about, hey, let's go get Jesus Christ. And so he may be probably ready to go to bed. And so he was just ready to step out. He just picked up his bed sheets and followed the Lord. Followed where the crowd was going. And when they spotted him, they took a hold of him. He ran away. Well, maybe it's because he was just a silent disciple. But at the same time, he could also be one of those curious people. Have you know, realized people are curious when there's a crowd and everybody's looking like this? Have you ever noticed in the highway when there's, a, when there's an accident? You just He could have been a curious guy. He said, what, where, where are all those people going? Look, look, there must be something happened. Maybe he was so, he was like, he was so nosy. He said, I just want to know what's happening. And by the way, there's some people like that today who are in church. They're just nosy. They just want to see what's happening with those Christians over there. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a trend and maybe I want to be a part of this. There were some curious crowds. You know, there were different attitudes when people, in people as they tried to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that God will show us that we could have been some of those people as well. Because the very same crowds who love the Lord turn against him. We can betray the Lord, don't you know that? It's when we start sinning, we are betraying him. When we say we love him and we don't put him first in our life, that's betrayal. When you start to destroy the people of God and his work, that's betrayal. When we start to hurt the people that we love by sinning, that's betrayal, folks. So don't you ever say, say well, I'm not one of those crowds. Yes, you are. You and I can be part of that crowd. But I want you to notice how Jesus Christ responds to the betrayer because I want you to focus on Christ. I don't want you to focus on Judas, all right? Let's focus on Christ. Notice here, when he comes, according to John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 26, he calls him what? Friend. What in the world would somebody call him a friend? Here is a guy who's just about to hand you over and you call him friend. It just tells us the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even when you turn your back on him, he still calls you friend. You've always been his friend. He wants you to be his friend. And he wants you to remain his friend. Even when you turn your back on him. 
Folks, the Bible tells us that even Christ is willing to lay down his life. For what? For his friend. Even no amount of provocation would stop him from loving his friend because he needed to do this in order to fulfill scripture. That's the kind of Jesus we have who still calls his friend when we walk out on him. He even asked Judas, Judas, do you come in peace? Judas, explain yourself. Judas, stop this charade. Judas, I know everything. Even before this happened, Judas, would you stop playing around? I already know what you're doing. He said, friend, don't you realize that what you're doing is already a shame? Because you're mocking me by just playing around. Just do it, friend. Gawin muna. Why don't you do exactly what, what is in your mind? Have I been hard to you as a master? Have I treated you so bad that you'd have to do this? Must the badge of friendship be ruined just because of your desire for material things and for temporal things? He was willing to ask the hard question. And folks, maybe Christ is asking us some hard questions right now. In your life, how are you betraying the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you playing games? Stop playing games. You can be in church today and you're still playing church. You can be playing games even in your family, with the people around us. He asked the questions that would make us understand who we are. He was rudely arrested, but he did not resist. Think about this. He could have resisted, but instead of being resisting the whole arrest, he just says, go ahead. Take me now. You see, at one point, he would slip away from the crowd because they wanted to make him king. But here, he was willing to say, come on, arrest me now. Because I have committed my life to what God wants me to be doing. As he surrendered his life totally to the promise and fulfillment of Scripture. He asked them questions to make them think, Hey guys, you know, you could have arrested me. I was with you all this time. I was there every day. Why would you arrest me tonight? You know, if you didn't want me, I, you saw me every day. So why do this thing? Have I led a rebellion against you? Have I led a crowd that was so bad that you had to bring all these people? He asked them questions. I was with you. And the same way God is asking the question, why do you do these things to me? Why do you still deliberately sin and do things that is not right? Have I done anything to deserve such kind of loyalty and love from you? He asked these questions from us. But in spite of that, he was still willing to submit to the will of the Lord Jesus, the Father. He says, do you, you weigh. It was a very dark hour. Because here you see the attitudes of people who are willing to submit to their own passions, to their own personal desire, than the will of God. Well, that was Jesus' response. Let's look at the disciples' response when this was happening. Hey, what happened? Master, shall we fight? It was Peter. In other words, during this time, it just tells us he picks up one of the swords, and what does he do? He swings at one of the servants. Maybe the servant was the first one in line. And right there and then, he realized that Jesus Christ was really bold about his statement. He swings it. And the Bible, and the Bible tells us what happens. He cuts up the ear. I wondered why the ear. Did he go? <laughs> Maybe, all right? Have you realized this? What happened if he cut off the head of Malchus? Have you realized something here? 
If he cut off that person's head, right there and then, all the disciples would have been killed. The soldiers were ready to come and slice them all to pieces. But right there and then, the Lord had a way of doing it. Because once his ear was cut, what did he do? He picks up the ear and pays it back, and it's healed. But there was something also that we can learn from this. Right there and then, Peter responds out of rashness. You know Peter? That's who he is. He's so bold. He doesn't think. Lord, I will not deny you. Lord, I'm going to walk on water. Oh, I'm going to... Hey, Lord, I'm willing to fight for you. He was so rash in his judgment that what he did could have self-destruct in his life rather than fulfill God's purpose. He draws his sword, but the Lord Jesus Christ corrects and says, it shouldn't be done this way. Who abides by the sword will die by the sword. As a matter of fact, he even corrected Peter. He says, Peter, you have to understand, you're not yet ready to do what you're doing right now because if you've done this, you're not even so clear about your calling. You're not even clear about your cause. Are you really ready to go through this right now? Peter, stop it. I could send all the angels. I don't need your help. That was painful. Peter, I don't need you. Why? Don't get in the way, Peter. Why are you using this in order to fulfill? Don't stop God's plan. And folks, she and I can never avert God's plan in our life. But, and by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ even did something here to his disciples. I want you to open to the book of John. Come on. Because there's something beautiful in the book of John. John chapter 18. I want you to start looking at verse 4. Jesus, knowing that all of this, John chapter 18, verse 4, all of, knowing that all was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, I am he, he said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, he they drew back, and fell to the ground. Christ said, I am he. Folks, Christ stood up with courage. Don't you ever think that he was like a defeated person? Because the moment he stood up, it says they fell to the ground. You know what happens here? When they heard this, whoa! That's, that's exactly the expression there. Oh, you're the Christ? They were so amazed that they hear this person. He was willing to confront them. There was such boldness, there was authority, and the willingness for him to give up. As a matter of fact, they even asked a second question. Go ahead. Notice what it says. And he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you, I am he. Jesus answered, if you're looking for me, then let this man go. Don't you miss that part about our Savior. Because of his authority, he says, guys, you are dealing with me. I am here. You want? Take me. But you see these disciples over here? Don't you dare touch them. Let them go. That was not a pleading there. He said it with authority. Make sure you don't touch them because I have a plan for them. You understand? Let them go. And that's the reason why when Peter went like this, they could have killed him. He said, Peter, not your way, but my way. It just shows us that in the midst of this, 
the Lord even cared for his disciples. Folks, when you go to trials and betrayal in life, God says, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. Do it my way. He did not resist the arresters. He gave good word to his enemies about his disciples. He reconciled everything to the fact that this is all in God's plan. But then notice here, afterwards, his disciples deserted him. Even when he was betrayed, there was only one person who stood with the Lord. Who was that? It was God the Father. Friends, the Bible says, even when your family and friends forsake you, who's going to be with you? It's the Lord. Trust the Lord that even when you go through trials in life, that there's going to be this person who will always be with you, even to the point when everybody turns their back on you, is going to be there with you. And so, what can we learn from this? I want you to see if we can pick up a few things here to make sure that it starts to apply to our lives. Number one, remember this. Jesus knows everything before it happens. Even before it happens in your life, he already knows, folks. That's the kind of God we have. He's in control. And so God is not surprised by any events in our life, in a church, in your family. So trust the Lord. Amen? He knows what's happening even in the world today. Second, he also reminds us, he says, listen, you don't have to do it by your sword or your way. You do it my way. I can summon 12 legions. So don't worry about what's happening in your life. I can take care of you. He also says, he prayed for the interest of the Father. He says, Lord, not my will, but you will be done. He also said to them that even from his enemies here that were doing wrong to him, he says, even during this time, they are part of my plan. So how do I close with this? Here's the application. And I pray that you and I would look at this application from our hearts. Number one, the word of God always reminds us that everything that happens in Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ is to what? Fulfill the prophecy. Everything that happens in your life, you need to trust the Lord that God has a plan. Folks, nobody can thwart God's plan. Whatever happens in the world today, when you're looking around in the Middle East, in your life and my life, this is all part of a bigger plan. Don't you just look at your small little plan here, your life. Your life is part of a bigger plan. And God says, I will carry out my purpose, and nobody can thwart that plan. Amen? You better make sure that you hold on to God's word and the conclusive nature of God's counsel, because it always will remain. The Bible says, God's word will stand. What else? Every time we sin, every time we have the sin of omission and commission. What is the sin of omission? You're supposed to do certain things and you don't do it. That's a sin. When you're supposed to love somebody that is so unlovable. When you're supposed to forgive and you don't want to forgive. What about the things that you're supposed to be doing and you don't do? Like praying. Reading the word of God like sharing the gospel, sharing your resources. We, we know that we do these things, but the Bible tells us we always crucify him every time we do those things. Let's stop crucifying the Lord because of our actions. Let's ask for his forgiveness. Even when we are wrongfully accused, remember this, we can still be gracious, amen? You can be betrayed by people and accused today. Learn from the master. You and I can still be gracious. 
Let me tell you a story of, of a lady. She was a part of a church. And what happened was that there was this guy in his rage who killed her husband. And she used to play the piano in the church. And this guy, because of what he did, realized that maybe this person will always be, be bitter towards, she would be bitter towards him. And he stayed away from the church for a long time. He says, I can't go back to her anymore. Uh, in my rage, I killed her husband because they had some kind of a quarrel. And so one time, he felt like the Lord was asking him to go back and ask for forgiveness. He wanted to repent of the sin. He went back to the church, and there was this lady playing the piano. She was already a widow, and she approached the lady and says, Ma'am, I know what I've done to you has been wrong. I've asked for God's forgiveness, and I know God has forgiven me, but I don't know if you can forgive me. As she approached the lady, the lady turned around and says, You know what? I've been waiting for you to come back because I've forgiven you myself. If God has forgiven me, who am I not to forgive you? I release to you the forgiveness because God has forgiven me. Right there, they both wept together and experienced the most beautiful thing about forgiveness. Folks, listen carefully. Judas had remorse, but he never repented of his sin. He could have been forgiven. Peter, he denied the Lord. But you know what? Yes, for forgiveness. God says, I can forgive you if you're willing to repent. We need to be able to repent of our sins and God's forgiveness. And what does he promise? I will forgive you. What else is he telling us here? We can defend ourselves by asking the right questions. It's okay to ask people when they are doing things to us, but do it in the manner that is right, that is honoring to him. We can, and we can abandon ourselves totally to the Lord. Say, God, your will be done. We can also say, Lord, in the midst of this, would you please show me the silver line that even as I go through this betrayal, I can also experience what you've experienced and learn from you so that people can say, there's something different about you. You can say, why? Because of my Savior. If he has forgiven me, why can't I forgive you? And in closing, if you haven't yet accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, listen carefully. You can never learn what it means to forgive unless you've experienced God's forgiveness. You can never learn what it means to be betrayed until you feel the pain of what it means to be betrayed by the Lord when you, when you sin and hurt his heart. You can still ask forgiveness. He can be your Savior. And even today, during this Holy Week, say, God, as I look into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, help me to, help me to become more like you. That when I go through this, I can be a good example of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, every head's bowed and every eyes are closed. You know, when Jesus Christ was arrested, it was one of the most painful things he ever experienced to be betrayed by somebody that he loved, somebody that he knew so well. And you and I this morning know that we could be that person. In your own personal life, when you look into your life, what are some of the things that you've done that you know you have betrayed the Lord? Think about the actions, the things that you've said towards one another, towards your family, 
towards the church, towards workers, whatever it might be. You know, deep in your heart, you've done certain things that could have betrayed their trust. And this morning you say, God, I could be that person. But you know, the Bible tells us that when we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us. Would you please at this very moment ask the Lord just to cleanse us and to forgive us? And that as much as we betrayed one another, the most important thing that we betrayed is the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask for His cleansing. Because that's the thing that hurt Him the most. But yet He was still willing to forgive us. So right now, let that cleansing just come through your life. Let it be removed. Let that guilt be removed. And let it be replaced by God's love, God's mercy, God's peace, and God's assurance that everything now is okay, that you've asked for His forgiveness. But then why don't you ask the Lord to give you the strength and the grace? If there may be somebody that you have offended that's done something wrong, you need to go to that person and ask that person to forgive you as well. Because that's the act of a person that is humble and has a contrite heart. The Lord will honor that. And this morning, you're also saying, God, I know that you're fulfilling your purpose in my life. And so whatever you're happening to your life right now, maybe you've been betrayed yourself. Would you be willing to forgive as well? And say, Lord, I'm doing this so that your will will be done in my life. That your purpose will be seen in my life. That people will see the change. And the reason why I'm changed, it's because of Jesus Christ. Who am I not to do that? Lord, thank you for setting the great example. That you were willing to entrust your life into the hand of the Father. That his will will be done. Would you please do the same thing this morning? Say, God, I'm just committing to you these things in my life that is holding me back from doing your will. I surrender them, dear Lord, that your will and your purpose will be fulfilled in my life and accomplish your will, dear Lord. If you can't do that, would you please ask for God's help? Say, God, I can't do it. But the Bible tells us I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. Ask God to strengthen you right now to do that. And lastly, if there's somebody here who has not yet come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Week is a time for you to realize he, he was willing to go to the cross because Christ loved you and He paid the ultimate price for your sins and for my sins. Don't you stop resisting Him. Please stop resisting the Lord. Don't you stop the wooing of God's Spirit in your life. And this morning, if you haven't yet come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please say a simple prayer that goes like this? God, I realize that you love me. And that you died on the cross and paid that ultimate price for my sin by dying for me. You became that lamb, the Lord, that was willing to be slaughtered, that I might be saved. So Jesus Christ, would you please come into my life today? Forgive me, cleanse me, make me the person you want me to be. Give me eternal life that you promised. And from now on, my desire is to live for you. Thank you, Lord. And I love you. Father, bless every decision that's made today. Father, arrest us in your love. 
Bind us with your promises. Keep us close to you. And let us always be appreciative of what you've done on that cross. Because it should have been me. But instead, you died in my place. We are eternally, eternally grateful, Lord, to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen. As we close our service this morning, maybe God has been speaking to you about the message today. And it might be in different forms. Maybe you know in your heart that there are certain things that need to be settled, and you've settled it this morning. You want to say, thank you, Lord. I offer my life to you. Maybe it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I have not really been a faithful witness, a disciple for you. I pray that God give me that boldness to stand up for you because I want to be counted as your disciple, not to be ashamed. Maybe this morning say, God, I want to be a part of this church. I want to do your will. Help me, Lord, to become a, a, a member of this church so that your will will be fulfilled in my life and in my family, whatever decision that might be. Maybe you want to follow the Lord in water baptism. On Easter Sunday, we'll have a baptismal service. Say, God, I've been your follower, but I have yet, never yet followed you in water baptism. Say, God, I want to do that. So why don't we all stand and let's sing the song, Lord, I offer my life to you. And whatever decision made to the Lord, let this be our, our, our song of offering to him. You want to come down and pray with me here? You want to offer your life to the Lord? Maybe this time you just want to offer certain struggles you have, whatever it might be. This is between you and the Lord. If you know God has spoken to you, this is the hour. This is the time to give our life to the Lord. Lord, I offer my life to you.
Supper. 